Let's have a word of prayer as we get started, okay? Lord God Almighty, we thank you for the time of worship we've already had as we've Lord, sung out songs to you. And now we thank you as we have the privilege of opening up your word and letting its truth speak to our heart. Father, I pray that you will do what no man can do. You will speak. You will convict us of our need, our sin, our need for righteousness, that there's a judgment. Lord, I pray that you'll open up our ears and our minds so that we can perceive what you want to say. Lord, touch our hearts so that we'll respond. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jill and Barclay Ryan are active members at Northside. They are precious people. And they have had their share of those days. The reason I say those days is because they have already experienced that day multiple times. Jill and Barclay met at a cookout that a mutual friend put on in 2003. And they were married in May of 2004. Jill had already been a part of the Northside family. And shortly after that, Barclay became a part of the Northside family. And then... On May the 26th, 2005, two days, two days before their one-year anniversary, they experienced something that no parent should ever have to experience. At the age of 16, Jill's daughter, Jessica, passed away in her sleep from a grand mal seizure. She lost her daughter. Jessica was called Little Jill. She could light up any room. Her personality was contagious. And in their words, they said this, her death was devastating. Our world has never been the same. It is something you never get over. You just learn to live with. But then they said this, but God showed up in a mighty way, gave us strength and a sense of calmness when our hearts were broken. And then on February the 6th, 2006, just 11 months after they lost Jessica, Barclay lost his father. You would think that would be enough, but it continued. On August the 20th, 2007, a little over two years after losing their first child, Barclay found Ryan, Jill's son, dead in his bed. He too had experienced a grand mal seizure. Barclay had to call Jill on her way to work and Tell her that he found Ryan in bed not breathing. This is what Jill said as she began to travel back home. She said, oh God, not both of them, please. Not both of them. Can you imagine losing not one but both of your children in a matter of just two short years? But in the midst of their pain, God showed up again. He comforted them. He strengthened them like only he could do. You would think that that would be enough grief, enough pain for anybody for a lifetime. But then in December of 2009, Jill lost her father at the age of 65. Over the next few years, Jill and Barclay had a lot of long talks. They talked as they sat in their home at night. They talked as they drove in their car. They talked as they walked along the beach. But as they talked, they didn't ask the question, why? Why is this happening? They asked the question, what? 
What is it that God wants us to do now? What does God have in store for us? And as they had these discussions and as they experienced time of prayer, God began to speak to them and, and God began to reveal to them that, that he wanted more children in their lives. And then God spoke to them through a verse, James chapter 1, verse 27, which says this, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And that's when they decided that God had called them to adopt. And so through some friends, God led them to a ministry called New Horizons for Children, a ministry for orphans living in Eastern Europe. It was there that they came across the pictures of two brothers, Thomas and Richard. And they began to pray over these pictures for several weeks. And then they decided that they were going to take a leap of faith and they were going to bring these boys to their home for six weeks in the summer of 2011. And that's what they did. After the six weeks were over, they had to send the boys back on an airplane to the orphanage in Latvia. And as they were sitting in the parking lot at the Atlanta airport, Jill and Barclay said that God spoke to them and revealed to them that their mission in these two boys' lives was not yet over. Barclay said this, I wept at the thought of having no chance or um, of these boys having no chance of life in their home country where over 80% of the boys join gangs or end up dead by the time they are 18. A year later, after three trips to their home country, they successfully adopted these two boys who now have hope for a successful life. They've been going at it now for a little over six years, and during that time, Richard and Thomas have both accepted Christ. Has it been easy? No, not always. Have there been adjustments? You better believe it. Has there been some heartache and pain? Absolutely. With every new venture in life comes those things, but God has showed up, yet in the midst of all of this, they are still experiencing those days. Since then, Jill was diagnosed with cancer. Since then, they lost another parent. And just a little over a week ago, Barclay lost his job. I mean, those days continue on and on and on in their life. And yet, they continue to trust God. They continue to have faith in him, to worship him. This is what they said in, in their words. For us, those days have convinced us without a shadow of a doubt that God showed up without fail in our lives when we needed him the most. And then they said this. May these events in our lives resonate and give each one of you the strength, comfort, and peace that is beyond comprehension. And then they went on and said, our sincere hope is that our testimony will help others who will or who have already experienced that day. And all God's people said, i tell you what I want us to do. I want us to take a moment right now and pray for Barclay and for Jill, for Richard and Thomas. I want us to pray that God will provide a job for Barclay that is better than the one that he lost in a downsizing. 
I want us to pray that God will work in Richard and Thomas's life and they will love God passionately and serve him wholeheartedly for all their life. Will you join me in praying this for the Ryan family? Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, I thank you that Jill and Barclay have had an unwavering faith in the midst of countless days of grief and pain. I thank you, Father, that they've trusted you even when their heart has been broken. I thank you, Father, that they've reached out and they've taken a leap of faith to minister to two boys who are now their son. And Lord, I pray for Richard and Thomas and I pray that you will use them in a mighty way for your kingdom. Lord, help them to passionately love you. Lord, I pray that they will both serve you with all your, their heart, mind, and soul. And Lord, I pray that you will be more than just some person out of history to them. Father, I pray that you will be the personal creator God who redeemed them in their lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we are in week nine of that day and hopefully as we've gone through these nine weeks already we've learned some things that have helped us, that have encouraged us, that have comforted us either as we are going through or we prepare for that day in our lives because remember none of us are exempt from experiencing that day, one day, someday, each of us will go through that day. And so the question we need to ask is this. When we go through that day, will we fall into God's arms or will we flee from his presence? When that day comes, will we love him more than ever before or will that day cause us to question his love for us? When that day comes, will we grow in our relationship with Him? Or will that day cause our relationship to be hindered? Or could that day even cause it to come to a standstill? You see, here's what I know. God never wastes a pain. It could be the pain of death. It could be the pain of sickness. It could be the pain of divorce. It could be the pain of losing a job. It could be any number of painful things. But God can take our pain and teach us great truths as we walk through those pains. Now, none of us want to hear that when we're walking through that day. And that's why we need to know in advance that all things work together for good to those that love the Lord. We have to come to that point in our life where we ask God to take our pain and teach us great truths as we walk through them. Now let me remind you, in just a short amount of time, Job lost his property, all of his possessions to, to raiders and through natural disasters. And then through a storm that hit the house that his children were in, he lost all ten children in a single day. And then Job was struck with some disease that literally was eating him away on the inside and the outside. He was overcome with grief. His body was racked with pain. And then his friends came to comfort him. But instead of comforting him, 
They tried to convince him that all of his pain, all of his sorrow, all of his suffering was the result of sin in his life. They wanted Job to admit that there was something he had done to offend a holy God and that's why all of this was happening to him. And so from chapter 4 in the book of Job through chapter 37 we see this back and forth between Job and his so-called friends where these friends are trying to convince Job that he sinned and Job is trying to convince them that he hasn't and they're having this discussion, this dialogue about why we experience pain, why bad things happen to good people. And all of this, Job never stopped loving God. Job never stopped trusting God. He never stopped obeying God. He questioned God. He wanted God to give him some answers. He wanted the opportunity to state his case before God. But he never stopped loving God. And then in chapter 38, God shows up. But instead of answering Job's question, he comes to Job with questions of his own. In chapter 38, verse 1, it says, The Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. That word in the Hebrew literally means devastating storm. When God spoke to Job, he didn't speak with a tender, compassionate voice, but with a display of power through a storm. And then in verses 2 and 3, this is what God says to Job. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man. Because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. In other words, what God was saying is, I'm not here to answer your questions. I'm here with some questions of my own. Now to understand, God isn't being cruel. God isn't being hateful. God isn't even angry at Job. But he is reminding Job, who is God? He is reminding Job who is in charge. Sometimes, sometimes we need to be reminded that God doesn't answer to us. We answer to God. Philip Yancey has a book that's entitled Disappointment with God. And in that book he says this, I can think of several things God could have said. Job, I'm truly sorry about what's happened. You've endured many unfair trials on my behalf, and I'm proud of you. You don't know what this means to me, and even to the universe. A few compliments, a dose of compassion, or at least a brief explanation of what transpired behind the curtain in the unseen world. Any of these would have given Job some solace. God says nothing of the kind. Philip Yancey goes on, and he quotes Frederick Butcher from his book, Wishful Thinking, and this is what Butcher says. He said, God doesn't explain, he explodes. He asks Job who he thinks he is. He says to try to explain the kind of things Job wants to explain would be like trying to explain Einstein to a little neck clam. 
God doesn't reveal his grand design. God reveals himself. And then Yancey continues, and he says, the impact of God's speech on Job is almost as amazing as the speech itself. Although God never answers question one about Job's predicament, the blast from the storm flattens Job. He repents in dust and ashes, and every trace of disappointment with God is swept away. When God speaks, he isn't offended. He doesn't become angry. He's not hurt. He's overwhelmed by God to the point that he repents and he gives his all to God. And so listen to what Job said in chapter 42, beginning in verse 1. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You ask, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about. Things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen and I will speak. I have some questions for you and you must answer them. I'd only heard about you before, but now... I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said. I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. And don't miss verse 5. Underline it in your Bible. I have only heard about you before. But now I have seen you with my own eyes. Now, I don't believe Job was saying that he didn't really know God in a personal way before. Job did. Do you remember what God said about Job in chapter 1? God said that Job was the finest man on the earth. He was blameless. He was a man of complete integrity. He feared God. He stayed away from evil. If ever there was a man on the earth at that moment in history that knew God, it was Job. Job knew God. But when Job heard God speak, when Job entered into the presence of God, he saw him more clearly than before. Do you remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter? When we get to the latter part of that chapter, Paul said this. He said, now we see through a glass darkly, but then we will see face to face. In other words, our comprehension, our understanding of God right here and now is, is like looking through a dirty window. We can't see clearly. But when we see him face to face, we will know what he is really like. We will encounter him in all of his glory. We will see him with a new understanding. I have a brand new niece. I say brand new, she's five years old. My brother and sister-in-law have, have had her for two years, and the adoption became official in September. Anaya is the most beautiful, intelligent five-year-old in the world. Maybe second, maybe second. She is incredible. She has an amazing mind. She has, is unbelievably intuitive but Anaya is completely blind she's been blind from the day she was born she's never seen a thing 
when I'm talking to my brother on the phone, Anaya wants to get on there, and, and whether I'm on the phone, my wife is on the phone, or when we have other family members on the phone, immediately from our voice, she knows who she is speaking to. Whether it's Uncle Rocky, Aunt Sherry, or Uncle Matt, or, 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 or whether it's Graceland, she knows who she is speaking to. When we are with Anaya, before we ever say a word, she can come up to us and feel our arms. She can know who we are. She can rub my face without me saying a word, and she knows it's me. She's never seen her mommy and daddy, Paul and Kimberly, but she knows them. She knows them intimately. She knows them personally. But can you imagine when she finally sees them for the very first time in heaven? She will have a new understanding, a new appreciation, a new love for her parents. And that's what happened to Job right here as he went through that day and he encountered God. God on that day he saw God in a new way in a fresh way a way that changed his life from that time on here's what I know write this down that day can either blind us to who God is or it will cause us to see him like we've never seen him before did you hear me that day will either blind us to who God is or it will cause us to see him like never before. There's a worship song that I love singing. It goes like this. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up. Shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy. Open the eyes of my heart. I don't know about you. But my desire is that God will open the eyes of my heart that I, so I can see him better, so I can see him in all of his glory, in all of his splendor, in all of his holiness. I want to see God like Isaiah saw God in Isaiah chapter 6. I want to see God like John saw God on the island of Patmos in Revelation chapter 1. I want to see God like Job saw God in Job chapter 38 through 41. I want to see God in such a way that he rocks my life and my world and everything in it. I want to see him in such a way that I will be transformed from the inside out and I can never be the same again. And I believe, I believe that's what happened to Job. He encountered God in a fresh way. He saw him with new eyes and a new understanding, and it literally changed everything. And so how is it that you and I can see God with fresh eyes? And I think another way we can ask the question is when we see God with fresh eyes, how has our perspective changed? Okay? Well, I believe there are four things that we see in this passage that are incredibly important. First of all, if I want to see God with new eyes, I must be willing to submit to his sovereignty. In Job 
42, verse 2, it says, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. If you're going to see God in a new way, you're going to have to submit to the fact that He is God and you're not. Did you hear me? If you want to see God with fresh eyes, with a new understanding, you've got to submit to the fact that He's God and you're not. Listen to some of the questions God asked Job. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Have you ever commanded the morning to appear? Do you know where the gates of death are located? Can you direct the movement of the stars? Can you shout to the clouds and make it rain? Can you make lightning appear and cause it to strike as you direct? Who can stand up to me? Who has given me anything that I need to pay back? Everything under heaven is mine. Now listen, when we, when we talk about God's sovereignty, it means that God has supreme power. He has complete power. He has all power. God answers to no one. Everyone and everything answers to Him. Can I get a witness? Everyone, everything answers to Him. And He can do anything He wants to do. He doesn't have to get your permission. He doesn't have to get my permission. He is God. If He wants to take your job and make you bankrupt, he can. He's God. If he wants to strike you with a disease and cause you to live in pain for the rest of your life, he can. He's God. If he wants to take everyone you love from the face of this planet, he can because he is God. We need to understand there are some things that God causes and there are some things that God allows, but God is sovereign. God didn't cause the things to happen to Job that happened, but he allowed them. He gave Satan permission. And in our life, there are some things that God is going to cause. There are other things that God is going to allow. But if God is sovereign, and he is, God can do anything and allow anything he wants because he is God. God can do anything. I'm afraid some of us have a limited view of God. We want a God we can control. We want a God who is at our beck and call. We want a God who can do anything we want, but not anything He wants. But He is God. And He can do anything, period. He doesn't answer to me. He doesn't answer to you. He doesn't answer to some heavenly counsel. Everyone and everything answers to him. And if you want to see God with fresh eyes, if you want to see God with a new understanding, you have to come to that place where you submit to his sovereignty. Because he's sovereign, he's omnipresent. That means that he never leaves you nor forsakes you, but he never leaves me nor forsakes me either. It means that he is personally with me when he is even personally with you. He's not meeting with us in a group. He is meeting with us individually at the same time. He is God. There is never a moment that you leave the presence of God. David said nothing can separate us from your presence. 
When you find yourself in the depths of despair, he is there. When you're riding the waves of success, he is there. When you're in the highest highs and the lowest lows, he is there. When you experience that, that, that height of spiritual intimacy, he is there. When you're experiencing the pit of sin, he is there. Nothing can separate you from God. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He is the one from which all knowledge comes. There is nothing that God doesn't know. And by the way, that means nothing can take God by surprise. He knows everything. Even our future thoughts, our future decisions, and our future actions. He knows everything. You may sit back and say, well, I'm going to change what I was going to do to surprise God. He knew he was going to do that. I mean, you cannot do anything that can take God by surprise. He is omniscient. He knows everything, and he's omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is the God who created everything out of nothing before there was anything. And when it was all over, he was as powerful as he was to begin with. You see, God is God. God is sovereign. He's all-powerful. He's almighty. He can do anything. And the good news is he is a good God. Amen? He is a loving God, and he longs for a relationship with us. If you're in a fight, you want God on your side. And can I just give you a word of advice? You don't want to fight against him because you will lose. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. But verse 2 goes on, and it tells us not only can he do anything, it tells us that nothing can stop him. What that's literally saying is no one or no thing can thwart his plans, his purposes. Some of us have this idea that God and Satan are in this cosmic battle and the ending is yet to be determined, but God wrote the ending before he ever established the beginning. Does that boggle your mind? God wrote the ending before there was even a beginning. God wasn't caught by surprise when Satan rebelled. He knew it would happen. God wasn't caught by surprise when man sinned in the garden. He knew that was ha would happen. God wasn't caught by surprise when his chosen people rebelled against him. He knew it would happen. And God wasn't caught by surprise when they nailed his only son to a cross. He not only knew it would happen, but he used it as part of his divine plan for our salvation. God is omnipotent, and nothing can thwart his plan. Nothing. Now, does that mean that we have no say in what role we'll play? No. But it does mean that God already knows what role you'll play. Because God knows everything, past, present, and future. He knows the decisions you're going to make. He knows how you're going to respond and he already has a plan in place that's going to accomplish his ultimate end in spite of what you do, in spite of what I do. Does that mean that God may not want to save some of you? Absolutely not. I want every one of you to look me in the eyes. I don't care whether you're Arminian or Calvinist or whatever, you need to hear this. God wants to save you. Jesus died for you. And if you spend eternity separated from him, it's not because that was part of his divine plan. 
It simply means that in spite of your free will and your willful rebellion, God has ultimately established his plan in the end in the world. And what is his plan? His plan is to create a people that will live with him for eternity, that he can love forever, that will love him forever, that will rule and reign with him forever. That's his plan, and nothing can thwart that plan. If you want to see God with fresh eyes, you have to come to that place where you acknowledge he's in control. He doesn't answer to me. He doesn't explain himself to me. All I need to do is submit to him and surrender to him. And I know, I know that there are some of you here today that that's tough for you. It's tough. But I'm here to tell you what you have to determine is this. If he is God, and he is, then what choice do you have? What choice do you have? And if he is good, and he is, then understand that whatever may come your way, he is going to somehow, some way, through his marvelous power, bring good out of it that's our God so we've got to come to that point where we submit to his authority second and I have to hurry here if we want to see God with fresh eyes we need to admit our own ignorance look at verse 3 you ask who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance it is I I was talking about things I knew nothing about things far too wonderful for me we've all done that haven't we have you ever been in a room with people who were talking and there were people that were, you know, just, I mean, they were so knowledgeable and they, they were talking about things that are above your, your head, but, but you were determined that you wanted to say something. And so you started talking. And in the midst of the words coming out of your mouth, you're thinking, why in the world did I open my mouth? I'm an idiot. It would be kind of like, you know, me taking Randy Colby or Billie Jean Colby, who are both doctors, you know, out for lunch. And they're talking to me about some kind of medical thing, and I'm sitting there going, I'm going to let Randy and Billie Jean know how much I really know. I mean, I can go on webmed.com. And do that and I start talking and I start saying words that aren't words and they're sitting there going oh help him Jesus <laughs> well that's what Job was doing here I, I mean Job was sitting there trying to tell God let me stake my case let me have my day in court God let me tell you what I want to say and God's saying, oh, goodness gracious, keep your mouth shut and just trust me. And there are times that we need to do that. We just need to come to that point where we, we keep our mouth shut and we trust God. Because the truth of the matter is, all too often we're asking questions that we're never going to get the answers for. And we're wanting information on things we could never possibly understand. Have you ever wondered why God never told Job what was going on in the heavenlies? 
Could it possibly be because if he did, Job would have never quite understood it all? And he would have even been more confused than he was at first. You see, sometimes we just have to keep our mouth shut and acknowledge our ignorance to God. Third, we need to listen to what God says. Verse 4, you said, listen and I will speak. I have some questions for you and you must answer them. Many of us are more concerned with giving God our opinions rather than listening to what he has to say. We tell God what we think about our relationship woes, our destructive habits, our selfish decisions. We justify them. We explain them. We give our rationale for why we believe they're okay. And not only okay, but they are good. And we never quit talking and simply listen to God. But understand, if you want to see God in a fresh way, you need to quit trying to tell God why you believe what you believe and start listening to what God has to say. Now, God can speak to us in a variety of ways. He can speak to us through prayer. He does to me. God speaks to me in prayer. He can speak to you through His Spirit. God has spoken to me through His Spirit before. But understand If God speaks to me through prayer or God speaks to me through His Spirit or God speaks to me through circumstances, He is always confirming what He has already told me in His Word. Can I get an amen? There are some of you here today that talk about God told me or God showed me and you've never read your Bible through. And I'm sitting back wondering how in the world Can you ever believe that you have a clear picture of who God is if you haven't taken the time to open up God's Word and read the picture that God has given us of Himself? And yet that's where many of us are. We want God to listen to us. We we say things like, well, I'm just unhappy in my marriage. And... I was floored by this. I was at work the other day, and, and this man or this woman, they, they came up to me and they said, you look good today. And, and over time, they began to compliment me, something my spouse hasn't been doing. And they talk to me and make me feel good about myself. Surely, God has put this person in my life because God wants to bless me. Really? Are you that naive? Stop it! God's word is clear. You aren't hearing God, you're hearing Satan. If you want to hear God, you've got to get into his word systematically, strategically, and let God speak. I want to challenge you right now. Develop a plan. It could be a one-year plan. It could be a two-year plan. It could be a three-year plan. I don't care. Develop a plan to systematically go through God's Word. You read a chapter a day, chapter a day, and in four years you can easily get through the Bible. Chapter a day. Anybody can do that. 
If you want to read through the Bible in a year, just read about four chapters a day and you'll make it. If you want to know what God is like, read the Bible. Listen to what God says. And then finally, if I want to see a fresh picture of God, I need to turn from my sin and self-centeredness. Verse 6 says, I take back everything I said. I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. In the Hebrew, Job says, I despise what I did. I want you to hear me. Everybody look at me. There is never repentance without despising our sin. Did you hear me? Look at me. This is a biggie. There is never repentance without despising our sin. I've got to come to the point where I'm not only broken over my sin, but I despise my sin because I see my sin the way God sees my sin. Job said, I despise who I am. I despise what I have said. I despise the way I've acted to you, God. And understand, hear me, Job was still more righteous than anyone in this room apart from the saving grace of God. He was a man who was blameless, who feared God, who stayed away from evil. He was the most righteous man on the earth. None of us can say that today. And yet here he was when he was confronted with the holiness and the righteous, the splendor of God. He said, I despise who I am. My self-righteousness, self-centeredness, my careless words, my thoughts. And he repented, which means he turned from all of that. He left it behind. Hear me. If you want to see God with fresh eyes in the midst of that day, or as you prepare for that day, you've got to come to that point in your life where you surrender, you submit to His sovereignty. He is God and you're not. And whatever happens in life, you are going to trust him because you trust him. You've got to come to that point where you acknowledge your ignorance. You don't know a lot of things. You don't even know what you think you know. And you've got to swallow your pride, humble yourself before God, and, and acknowledge your ignorance to him. You've got to listen to him. The best way to do that is get into his word and let his word get into you. And when it does, despise the sin that has entered your life. Thoughts, words, actions, deeds. Despise it. And turn from it. And when you do, I'm here to tell you, you'll see God with fresh eyes. There are some of you here today who are believers like I am. And you're longing for a fresh encounter with Him. You want to see Him with fresh eyes. 
You want to know him with a, a newer understanding. Well, that's how. And if that's really the desire of your heart this morning, here's what I ask you to do. In just a moment when we have our altar time, as you come to this altar to pray for others, I encourage you to come to this altar and ask God to open the eyes of your heart. And how is he going to do that? He's going to do it as you submit to his sovereignty. He's going to do it as you acknowledge your ignorance, as you listen to his word, and as you repent of your sin and your self-righteousness, your self-centeredness. So for all of us who are believers who are longing for a fresh encounter, I encourage you to do that. But there's some of you here that you don't know him. And I'm not being judgmental. I'm not saying those who do know him in this room are some wonderful great people. It's just that they have realized how bad they are and they've trusted Jesus to save them. And maybe you're here and you've never trusted Jesus. You've never surrendered your life to him. And today you're ready to, to acknowledge to God that he's God. And you're ready to trust him and what he did to save you, which is give his son. And you're ready to give your life to him. And if that's where you're at and you want to do that this morning, then I encourage you right here, right now to bow your head. I want everybody to do that with me. I want us to bow our head. I want us to close our eyes and and if you're here today and you've never given your heart and life to Jesus and you're ready to make that commitment today, no matter what you've done in the past, no matter where you've been, then I encourage you to pray this prayer to God right now. Dear God, I come to you this morning humbly asking you to forgive me. I'm so sorry for my sin. I'm so sorry for living like I'm God. I'm so sorry for not trusting you. Father, I believe that you sent your son to die for me. I believe that your son defeated death and sin by being resurrected from the grave. You did that so I could be forgiven. Right now, I'm trusting you to save me. Father, I'm giving you my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Take control. Make me new. From this point on, Jesus, my prayer is that I'll live for you till my dying breath. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me. Thank you for saving me.